minimalists. <laughs> All right, everybody, we are back with Danae from SimpleFamilies.com. Um, what was Scooter Scoop? What were you talking about? Oh, yeah, yeah. So it's this company that's based in San Diego. We were just having this conversation <laughs> offline here. Um they, everyone, you know about all the, the I'm sure they're around, right? The the Bird Scooters, the Lime Scooters, yeah. and there are like a dozen other companies now, like yeah. these startups, which, by the way, are wildly unprofitable. Um, wildly Crazy unprofitable. Crazy how that works. Yeah, and, and so, but it's, uh, maybe they're going to find a business model that works for them. Anyway, uh, Ryan was talking about, there's a, there's a, it's a great idea if you are looking to you know, have a little side hustle. I guess you can go collect them and charge yeah. them, right? And yeah, they, they pay them, you money. Drop them off, yeah. Well, there's this company, I think they're called Scooter Scoop. <laughs> and um, it's started by this uh, like former Navy SEAL or Navy guy who was sick and tired of seeing all these scooters just yeah. being left on people's private property. Mm. So his company goes around and um, well, scoops up scooters, right? <laughs> and like holds them for ransom. Uh, well, he puts them in a, it's it's a, he's essentially a tow truck for scooters. Oh wow! Because it's on private property. So like, if you, Ryan, if you park your car on my my <laughs> private property, I'm gonna have it towed, right? <laughs> well, he's essentially towing the scooters. Oh wow, man! Uh, and his his company, I guess he has a lot of people who who do it. And he recently sold a bunch of them back to Bird and Lime for like forty thousand dollars. Oh my goodness! Uh, and um, and then he charges them like a you know, like a, if a tow truck company will charge them a uh, a storage like fee, right? Like fee, a, yeah. A, yeah, an impound fee, and then the d- per day storage fee. Oh my goodness! Yeah, so I, I don't I don't know Getting how that car towed is the worst. I mean, maybe the scooter isn't as bad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember we got our car towed in Tampa. I'm yeah, like, that same was Pete. God, that was crazy, man. That was. It's a lot of money. To, it was our very first yeah, tour stop yeah, ever. Yeah, <laughs> we, we, we we hadn't even like done the first stop. It was like the day before. Right, <laughs> kicked it off with getting our car towed. Yeah, it was not fun. All right, should we dive into this, Millie? Yeah, I think so. Um, all right, what do we got here? We before uh, we answer your surprise questions and before we talk about some more family stuff, let's read some more about less. Uh, the article I have here today is from SimpleFamilies.com. And it's called Excess Toys May Cause Decision Fatigue in Childhood. And I think it, I thought this is the perfect article for Sharon's question. So I'll just go ahead and read Sharon's question, then we'll dive into this article a little bit. Uh, Sharon from Israel says, How do you manage kids' toys and clothes when you have too many and it's really hard for the kids to give them away? Mm-hmm. And so there, there are two parts to this question, obviously, right? Like the first part is like, well, we've already talked about managing toys and, and clothes, but the second part is like, man, it's really hard for my kids to part with these things. Yeah. And I think in a way that that might be a good thing because if it was if it was just easy for them to let go of everything, that's Spartanism and that's a that's a that's a different problem that you'd be dealing with. Yeah. And so the question then becomes like about how much value they're placing on on these toys. So Let's actually, let's dive into this article. And then, Danae, I'd love to hear your perspective on Sharon's question. So this is Excess Toys May Cause Decision Fatigue in Childhood. If you've ever looked into your closet and thought, I have nothing to wear, but you really have a hundred different options, then you have experienced decision fatigue. (laughs) Uh, Decision fatigue is a phrase you may have heard before, but did you know that it also applies to children. I think we never think about this with respect to our kids, but of course our kids are yeah. overwhelmed all the time. And it's often the reason they experience the 
the moments of joy. They're overwhelmed with joy. And then two minutes later, they're overwhelmed with frustration or anger or discontent. And man, that really manifests in, in sort of physical behavior, right? Um, so uh, let's see. If you're unfamiliar, the research surrounding decision fatigue says that if we have too many choices, then it sucks our willpower. As a result, the more choices we make in a day, the worse the choices become. In other words, we have a limited amount of willpower and it's being zapped away every time we need to make a decision. The same thing happens with children, especially with toys. Research has shown us that having too many toys reduces creativity and negatively impacts a child's ability to focus. When your children enter the playroom and are faced with a hundred different toys, how do they react? Depending on the child and energy level, the reaction could go several different ways. Number one, apathy. This child could be overwhelmed just like you were in your closet. They think, ugh, I don't have anything to play with. It may be too hard for them to even make a decision when they're faced with too many choices. Mm. They just don't know where to begin and they leave the play space unengaged. Uh, number two is recklessness and impulsivity. I've definitely seen this one. <laughs> Research shows that when you have too many decisions to make, you can be reckless and impulsive. You may see this reflected in your child's behavior when they throw toys across the room, uh-huh, or run around haphazardly, uh-huh, dumping bins of trucks and or dolls. <laughs> I'm going to play with everything. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Um, number three is lack of care. When there are too many toys, they're not, they not as valued and respected. Ten matchbox cars, if one of them breaks or get stepped on, it's no big deal. There are nine more. When a child has too many choices, the value of every toy decreases. And as the items continue to accumulate, the value becomes less and less. So, how do you solve this? The answer is simple, have fewer toys. Mm. Now, that's easier said than done, right? And the article goes on to explain some of these things, but I like to have a conversation about it. So Sean, if you put a, a link to this in the show notes, the article, so folks can read the entire article, Danae, I'd love to talk to you about decision fatigue and how do we address this with our children, specifically with respect to Sharon's question about, man, it's so hard for them to give away their clothes and toys that they're no longer even playing with. Right. And it really depends on the age of the child. For younger children, I think if you have kids under three, you can just kind of go in and get rid of the stuff. Mm -hmm. I mean, they they may notice it, but I think you're, it's still early enough that you you know you're steering the ship. And I always tell parents that you are steering the ship. You are leading on leading the way on this. Yeah. Your children might not always be 100% on board. So if you have a kid under three, I think you can pretty safely go in and do the toy detox all on your own. Just yeah, get rid yeah. of. It's also important to to. Um, find the appropriate time right it's not right. yanking the toy out of their hand and saying you're <laughs> right. done playing with this now ella right and right. i think it, a lot of it's in the approach right mm -hmm. so are you approaching it as you don't take care of these things so i'm getting rid of them anyways or you don't need this many toys you don't play with these anyways i think when we're approaching from a different standpoint of let's try to see what it feels like living with less let's try what it feels like to have less toys mm -hmm. and i actually advocate for parents to send the toys on vacation so i tell parents what you need to do sit down with the kids say the toys are going to go on vacation let's look at a globe let's pick a spot for them maybe they want to go to the beach maybe they want to go to the mountains
mountains. You know, we're going to send the toys on vacation to Colorado. So for three weeks, the toy, packing up all the toys, you might even put them into suitcases, put them away, send them on vacation and see how your kids play. Mm-hmm. I think you are going to see immediate changes in the way that your kids play. Yeah. And if your kids really miss something like they're going to ask for, yes. right? This and is the, the packing party for kids, basically. Yeah. <laughs> this is oh, so good. That patent pending. That's a good book idea. <laughs> <laughs> Packing party for kids. Yeah, how to force your kids to get rid of their toys in 21 days. Um, So I I think that the approach is is absolutely important, but let's say they're over three years old. Let's say we have a 37-year-old kid. (laughs) No, uh, let's say that we have, you know, uh, Ella will be six this month. Um, And uh, sometimes there are things that she doesn't want to let go of, but I know that she no longer plays with. Um, What do you recommend? Well, I think if you try the approach of let's just pack it up and put it away into storage for a while and put it away into the back of a closet somewhere for a month or two and revisit it. Maybe put a put an alert on your calendar revisiting the unused toys and then going back and asking her, like, what do you think about this now? Do you still want to play with this? How do you yeah. feel about this? You haven't seen this in two months. Mm-hmm. Is it still something that you're interested in? Um, and giving her another chance to make those decisions because I think when they're in the moment and you're especially if there's a lot of stuff you're trying to get through and a lot of stuff you're trying to get rid of it can be really the process itself can be really overwhelming for kids so by putting some things away and revisiting them later i think we can give some kids give kids time to process the change and kids need just like we were talking about spouses need time to process kids need time to process it too and I do think 90% of it's in your approach, right? If yeah. you are being positive and you are talking about what a great change this is going to be, mm-hmm. I think that makes such a difference, right? If this is not a punishment. It is, And I think when we approach it from that standpoint, kids can get really defensive and really resistant. Yeah, we, yeah, we so. need to show them as many benefits as possible mm-hmm. so they can understand like we're doing this as a household. This isn't something that, yeah, we're, we're punishing you for, for having too many toys. But I can see the, like, the, def- the decision fatigue causing a problem like if you you know let's say your kid has 100 toys and you're like okay we're gonna some of these are gonna go on vacation you pick the ones that you want to go on vacation like as a parent that's where we need to take control of the ship and probably not look for their input as much because i could see a kid just not picking anything of the 100 yeah i I can i find with ella that she actually does when, when we go through this exercise together she's in fact, at first, when she was closer to three, she was a little bit overzealous. And <laughs> she, she was willing to just be like and, and getting rid of everything because yeah. it, it became almost a game. Yeah. yeah. Can I put my broccoli in the... <laughs> yeah, seriously. She, she did try to donate broccoli one day because like, we have a donation bin in the closet. And she's like, I want to donate this broccoli. <laughs> uh, and I'm like, oh, you don't understand. Um <clears throat> But uh, yeah, the the thing about I, I like I like the the putting it on your calendar. So I'm gonna make sure I tell Ella to put it on her calendar. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> but no, I think that there are some families that are starting this from a very different place than mm. you are. I mean, there are families with hundreds of toys, not just a hundred, but hundreds of toys. Yeah. And yeah. if the average American uh, uh, kid has three hundred toys, is it 300? yeah, and they play with twelve <gasps> daily. It's amazing. Wow. And I think if you're starting from that standpoint, that you know, I, the way that here's the way I felt when I first got rid of my clothes because I had you know the overwhelmed, terrible closet with all the Target clearance items and TJ Maxx finds. Mm-hmm. And I, I'll re- never forget the feeling that I had when I first did that. When I emptied my closet, I put it. I had two of those, you know, the big black um, leaf bags, like the landscaping bags. Yeah, like two of them. Gallon. Yes, yeah, two the of them 
trash full. Bag, right? Yes. And as soon as I filled them, I just got this feeling like I need to get them out of here. Like mm. I got to get them out of my house. Like I cannot stand to look at these for one more minute. And so I set them out in front of my house and seeing them, seeing those giant bags, it, it sort of awakened me in a way to say like, wow, look, and I was donating them. So you could say I wasn't wasting it, but it felt wasteful to me. There was mm. money wasted on those clothing. Yeah. There's I know that cost. Right. And yeah. I know that not all of those are going to be reworn, right? Some are going to end up in a landfill. Yeah. And just looking and seeing that mass quantity, I think, flipped a light switch in me and changed the way that I buy, right? So it's, mm. you know what? I made mistakes. I bought stuff we didn't need, whether it's toys or clothes. But at the same time, I can do things differently. And having that wake-up call really changed things for me. Like, I saw it. And I was like, wow, look at what what I've, this the amount of stuff that I have created. And how how can I do things different from now on? So did I waste a lot of stuff? Did I get rid of a lot of stuff? Yes. But at the same time, how much I'm not buying in the future is, I think, going to make up for that. Yeah, I know that's like one of the the thing the questions we get sometimes is like, I'm going through this minimizing process, but I've got all this stuff that I want to throw away, but I feel so bad about, you know, putting it in a landfill, you know, things that I can't donate or like, like you said, things go to donation, but then they end up in a landfill anyway. And I think there is this initial um, wastefulness, I guess, that ultimately happens where something can't be recycled, it can't be donated, and you got to get rid of it. But that is such a drop in the bucket uh, compared to if we continue to live right. our life that way. So we kind of got to take that initial step and just accept that there is going to be some sunk costs. There is going to be some waste. And uh, moving forward, we can change our habits. And, and that is going to be impactful, you know, not just for kids, but for the environment and things like yeah. that too. You know, it's funny. I think about the decision fatigue I experienced when I was a kid. Uh, I was living upstate New York. Uh, my mom and dad, when they were married at the time, we had taken in our... Uh, it was like three of my cousins um, for for the summer. Like they came up and we they lived with us. And my grandfather, he sent us a check. Sent my mom a check. Like, hey, I know you got the kids for the summer. I want you to do something fun with them. Please take them to Toys R Us and let them pick out any toy they want. And I remember being like six years old, going to Toys R Us mm. and being able to choose anything I wanted. It was unbelievable decision fatigue. The mm. action figures, the because bikes. It was a- it wasn't the everything balls. you want. Right. It was any one thing you want, exactly. right? Exactly. Yeah. Yes. So like choosing the one thing. And you know what I ended up getting? What's that? Legos. <laughs> like that's what I went with. But when I think about it, like that's this that's blocks. Like th- those are the simplest toys. But when you know, when you have uh when you you know, when you uh, uh limit your options, you you breed creativity. And those Legos you know, I, I didn't build the same thing twice, but I was always building something new. We're racing cars. I mean, you know, you get the little wheels and we'd have little demolition derbies with the cars. <laughs> mm. But uh, but yeah, it's like the, uh, the simple things really do uh, and can like add the most value to a kid's life. Well, here's another Rob Bell story. He, I remember him talking about, um, I don't know if he talked about this on our podcast, but um, he, he, he brought his kid to the uh, toy store and said, look, you can pick out anything you want. And, and obviously anything you want is different from everything you want. Right. You can tweet that podcast, Sean. <laughs> that um, it, but uh, he spent, you know, an hour in there and, and came back to dad and was like, big blue shovel, big blue shovel. <laughs> and he's like, no, 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 you can pick anything you want in here. Like, yeah, the big blue, big shovel. blue shovel. And he's like, well, why do you want the blue shovel? He's like, because then we can go dig holes in the yard for hours together, dad. <laughs> That's awesome. And and really what that that goes back to exactly what we're talking about is it's an that tool does augment the experience. What he's really saying is, 
hey, uh, the gift of our time together is what I'm really looking for. Yeah. And this is, a, this is a way I found to bring us closer together. And if you can find toys that do that, then that's great. You don't want to get rid of those toys. Those are the toys that enhance your experience of life. Yeah. We've got some other that's questions great. here, but before I get into those questions, I was reading the New Yorker and I saw this, and this was, I thought, perfect for this toy discussion here, right? Uh, as you alluded to in your article here, Danae, um, you talked about um, lack of care. When there are too many toys, they are not as valued or, and respected. If you have 10 Matchbox cars, one of them breaks and or gets stepped on, it's no big deal because there are nine more. And, of course, we just keep thinking happiness is just around the bin of the next purchase right mm-hmm. if, I, if i buy the the next toy the next lego set the next whatever mm-hmm. then i'll be happy and this is a new yorker cartoon ryan you want to explain this and read it for sure. us so here. we've got a picture of the black hole yes just recently uh, so it's a play off of that it says i've absorbed all matter within my gravitational pool I should be happy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, that's and so, good. I love that. So yeah. I think that's kind of how we are, you know, with like, and, we're, we, and we do that. We impose that on our own kids as well. So it's like, mm-hmm. I've bought, I bought you all the toys. Mm-hmm. You should be happy now yeah. as opposed to the experience of life. Yeah. And sometimes we don't even know that we're doing it, I think is the, the key part. So we have an au pair, which is sort of like a cross between a nanny and a foreign exchange student. She lives with us. She's from Poland. Okay. So she's like one of our family. She's she just turned 20. Um, so she's still sort of a teenager in many ways. And she recently had some boyfriend troubles. Mm. And my immediate response was... I'm going to make it better. I'm going to buy her stuff and make it better. Oh. So I bought her flowers. I bought her ice cream. I was like, what do you buy for someone that's yeah. going through a bad breakup? Right. Mm. And I don't know why. And it was funny that that triggered that in me. And I feel mm. like I'm kind of getting this experience parenting a teenager a little bit. Mm. Um, but I'm like, I don't do that with my own kids. But for some reason, that's what I went to. Yeah. And just paying attention to those tendencies in myself. And I don't know, maybe, maybe that's what my parents did to me when I was sad and when I was upset as a kid. Um, but I don't know. It just that's immediately where I went. I was like, buy her flowers, buy her, buy her ice cream. <laughs> like what ice else? Cream will make her feel yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, that's your way of adding value. Like you want right. to show sympathy. You don't you know want... what to do. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And sometimes we we do go to the sh- we try to go to the shortcuts or yeah, the the ephemeral things to make people happy. And to be honest, like sometimes that might be the answer. Meaning, yeah, take your kid out for ice cream or something. You know, if they had a really bad day or a really bad week. I mean, it's okay to do that sometimes, but yeah, if we're training that, if we're instilling that into our kids, then we might be uh, setting up something that we didn't mean to set up. Right. And it's a temporary fix, right? right. Like it brings a smile temporary, but the breakup was still there, right? right? That didn't go away. And when we are buying out of those, with those motivations in mind to make make kids happy and to fix things, we have to realize that those problems don't go away. Whatever was making them unhappy mm. to begin with is still going to be there on the other end of that brief fleeting period of joy yeah here's a here's another rob bell quote your child is not a bucket into which you pour your anxieties about your life (laughs) the world and their future could you explain that to my mother (laughs) (laughs) mom if you're listening i love you i don't i don't think she's a patron (laughs) uh yeah uh, so um and what he said here is work through your own problems so your children don't have to work through them with you. Mm-hmm. Sometimes your anxiety about your kid is really your anxiety about you. Mm. And so Sharon, maybe this, uh, they have too many 
toys and it's really hard for them to get rid of them. Maybe it's really hard for you to get rid of stuff too. Mm -hmm. And maybe you're, you're projecting that onto your kids and maybe it's not as hard as you actually think it is. It might seem hard in the moment, but as we talked about a moment ago, the, if the kids, if the toys go away, they often don't even realize they're yeah. gone. Yeah. We have a question from Twitter. Tweets and Chimes asks, this is a bit off topic, but related. <laughs> Do you have any suggestions? For <laughs> 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 this is the tech question. Yes. Yeah. Totally so random. Totally random. This is a bit uh, off topic. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have any suggestions for traveling long term with pets? How do you force your pets to be minimalists? Um... <laughs> I have two cats that I want to be able to travel with, but I want to ensure that they aren't too stressed and they're getting... <laughs> and they're getting enough... Podcast Sean, why did you pick this question? I'm <laughs> and, and, and they're getting enough exercise and they still have their needs met on the road. Oh my goodness. Um, I, have you ever traveled with cats? You know, you I have actually pets? have thoughts on this because I've kind of been through a little bit of this with my dog. So we have a dog who's older than our kids. She was our first baby. Mm. And she is nine now. She does not really care for the kids. She <laughs> like She's only nine pounds. Oh. So if you imagine my daughter is that my three-year-old is like 36 pounds. So if you, like even on a good day when she's just like marching around, she's still four times the size of, <laughs> right? So if like, imagine there was something like four times the size of you just like stomping around like yelling and screaming like it's disruptive like it's hard to be around yeah and we travel a lot and mm. when we do i don't really like to board her so i send her to my parents house in ohio and so she'll stay with them for two or three months at a time and she just got back last week she's been with them for two months and she loves to be there right oh. because she's an only child there mm. and my parents are empty nesters like they have like one of those baby carriers for dogs like she they wear her on the back and oh, like take her on great. bike rides but so i've really wrestled with this idea that like pets are kind of by default there to please us, right? We get yeah. them as a companion to please us. But then when do we start looking at what pleases them? Because I mean, if I'm completely honest, my dog would be much happier living with my parents mm -hmm. and they would love to have her, but I don't, she's a great dog. I don't have any reason to give her up. I don't want to get rid of my dog, but I know she'd be happier with them. But so it's your like- Your kids get joy from, from the dog as well, I'm assuming. They do, yeah. A lot more joy than she gets from them. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I guess it's just a matter of your perspective, right? Like, do you respect your animal's feelings? Is that important? And I have, I don't have an answer for that. I'm not, I haven't reconciled that yet. She's yeah. still with us and she's still being fairly, dis fairly upset on a daily basis. <laughs> Defiant <laughs> yeah. because there's- intruders in her territory yes exactly man uh so mariah and i have a cat she had this cat before mariah uh, and ryan have mariah's cat yes <laughs> well it's our cat now and like we get along great but when i first uh when mariah and i first started living together like this cat hated me and you know it was like somebody and you know it's you know 17 pounds and i'm 207 pounds yeah. so uh even a bigger you know i mean i'm not as probably as rambunctious as loud maybe. as a kid not all the time yeah maybe <laughs> But, um, you know, I could see where I had... He does break a lot of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I can't help it. It's funny. Mariah is just as clumsy as me. And, like, we... I can't... I, oh, I the list of things that her and I have broken, are like, it's unbelievable. So, um, but, so, with this cat, it's like, I went out of my way. At first, I tried to, like, pick it up and cuddle it and, like... The, that was like not the approach that the cat wanted. So I backed off. I actually had a friend of mine. I was explaining this, how the cat and I, how we didn't get along. And uh, my friend, her name is Sky. She was like, 
you know, maybe this is, uh, this is like an example for you or a lesson for you to learn how to be really gentle with people. Cause like you're a big guy, you're a hugger, you know, you, you're really rough. Like maybe this is a lesson in how to be gentle. And it totally was like, I totally backed off and like him and I, we get along great now, especially when I broke my back. Like he was get, he, he's never done this. So Mariah and I've been together going on six years. It took him five years to get on my chest and like, just let me pet him. And it was, it was all because like I, because you couldn't move. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I, and especially like during those 12 weeks, yeah, I couldn't pick him up or like, I still pick him up every once in a blue moon. But, uh, but anyway, um, we traveled with him from Montana to LA. So, and every and cat's here. Yeah. So every cat's going to be different. Um, our cat specifically, he does not like to travel at all. I don't all. think most cats like to travel. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's I've I've seen some exceptions, but yeah, I would I would probably agree with that statement. So when we went from Missoula to uh, Los Angeles during the move, we took two days to get out here. First day we drove eight hours. Second day we drove like nine hours. We had to like we didn't sedate him, but we got him like you know Kitty's annex basically, <laughs> like totally mellowed him out, and that helped. Um, it really it really did help with just the stress that was imposed upon him because he is a super, I think he's just like a really feral cat. Like Mariah got her down by the river with some kid who had a bunch of kittens in a box oh. <laughs> they found in a oh. barn. So, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure like it was, it comes from a feral line of cats. Uh-huh. So like stressing, it's very easy to stress the cat out. And when the cat is stressed, he's miserable. So, uh, so yeah, we got him a little kitty Xanax, but we would travel with him as little as possible. Mm-hmm. So my, you know, my, my answer uh, to tweets and chimes is I wouldn't recommend like traveling with your cats too much. Even dude, the cat that I had um, when I was uh, living by myself in, in Piqua, Piqua, Ohio, suburb of Dayton, it's like the, the almost Northern, the most Northern suburb of Dayton. Just south of Sydney. <laughs> right. Exactly. I, uh, I had a cat that I would go drop off with my mom when I went and traveled, uh, Josh and I went on a book tour and I'd leave for a week or two weeks. And at first, like he was cool with like the first couple times I gave her the cat. But like after that third or fourth time, I remember picking him up and he just looked like he was exhausted. Like, I mean, like really just looking at me like, why are you doing this to me? <laughs> so again, that's just my, and he was, a, he was like a dog. I mean, he was, uh, he would play fetch. He, when I come home, he'd like run over and jump on me, put his paws on my knees and start licking my pants. I mean, he was like, he was a, a, he was a dog, you know, trapped in a cat's body, but even that excited, awesome cat who acted like dogs still didn't like to travel. So this is just like my two anecdotal, uh, uh, you know, examples of, yeah, maybe you shouldn't travel with your cats. Yeah. Let us know in the comments if you have a cat that likes (laughs) to travel or if your cats hate traveling, let us know. Hannah from Austin, Texas asks... How can my parents and I cohabitate peacefully when our values and beliefs are diametrically opposed? <laughs> you got to minimize them. <laughs> <laughs> what, the, the values and beliefs or the parents? <laughs> Both. Ah. Well, I actually, you know, I think it's a fascinating question because um, values and beliefs are really different. We already touched on that a little bit in the minimal episode. Mm-hmm. But the if you have different values then you probably need to live in a different place if you have different beliefs then you can cohabitate um i've learned that ryan and i lived together for a while when we first moved out to to montana um he and i have different beliefs but we have respect for each other right and so um but if i think if if we lived 
lives that had radically different values and we were like tugging each other in different directions yeah it's not gonna work long term but you know when i think about like when you and i were living together so josh is very ocd i'm very add um and you would think i mean you would think it was like the odd couple but it really wasn't that bad um but the things that you valued let's just say um i don't know man like not leaving a dirty dish in the sink and just doing it once you you know as soon as the dish was dirty I was the type that, yeah, you know what? I'm going to let them pile up. I'll do them at the end of the day. And Milburn's like, dude, can we just like do the dishes as we're, you know, as we're going along? So not necessarily my value, but because I respected Josh and, you know, he's my friend. I, I want him to be happy. I want to support him. It's totally something that's not a big deal for him to be like, yeah, dude, no problem. Like I will, when I'm done with the plate, I'll just go ahead and wash it. So I so get. So if I were to look at the values versus yeah. beliefs there, the value is like having a clean space. The yes. belief, my, the way our beliefs differed, because mm-hmm. we, we both valued having a clean space. Sure. And, and that's, that, that was the same. Now, if, if you valued having a dirty space, then we'd have, we would have diametrically opposed values, yeah. right? Now the belief. I see what you're saying. The beliefs like, were different. Yeah. My belief was, hey, this should be cleaned right away. Your belief was like, yeah, I'll get to it today or tomorrow, but it'll be cleaned, right? Yeah. And and the way that you understood the other person's values, I'm going to respect that, right? right? Because it's just as easy for me to to support their value, or in, my, in this case, my value, mm-hmm. uh, by, by sort of acquiescing to that and there are other times where i acquiesce to your beliefs Mm -hmm. because we shared the same values yeah i see what you're saying about if the values don't align like if i'm living with someone and they like to kill puppies (laughs) like that is totally out of alignment with my values i'm not going to support that value (laughs) when you live with pacho Oh my goodness! Yeah, um, yeah. He. It, this was one of those scenarios yeah. where, like, um, this was like fresh out of high school. Yeah, Ryan's best friend uh, in high school. Um, well, he would do things like he'd spill a coke, and like just let it dry on the carpet. <laughs> so he didn't value cleanliness like I did. And you're right. Like I got out of that situation yeah. as soon as I could. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think the question that I I would try to keep in mind is why is this discord happening? Mm-hmm. Right? Like, what is what is at the root of this? And I think it goes back to this violation of the group identity. And when your parents are raising you, your family unit is this group. And then when you decide to go off in a different re- in a different direction, it feels like you're rejecting them and you're rejecting mm-hmm. the core values that they instilled in you. And that can be hurtful and it can be really hard for parents to stomach. And I think that that's what's happening here is that it sounds like this person has been raised in one type of environment and decided to make different choices for herself. And as a result, her parents are probably upset by that because they're feeling like, oh, well, if we raised you this way and if you don't want to do things this way anymore, then you're saying that we're bad. Mm -hmm. And the choices we made for you and the the way that we lived our lives this this whole time, as long as we've known you, then that's all bad too. So how do you address that? How do you address this idea that just because I'm going in a different direction from you doesn't mean that the way that you're living is bad or that and that you're wrong and I'm right. It doesn't have to be like that. And I think that is fundamentally, and I've seen some of this divide in my own family and with my husband's family in that neither of us grew up in minimalist families and moving in this direction, I think, was initially interpreted as a rejection of our family values mm. in their extended family members. And I think as time has gone on, they've come to see it as different is not bad. But a lot of that is in our approach, right? Is if we're approaching it as, you know, we're making these decisions and we're better than you for it, then of course they're going, that's going to cause yeah. discord. So they're going to feel disrespected. Yeah. I mean, all anybody wants is to be respected, really. Mm-hmm. Even if you don't agree with their values, even if you don't agree with their beliefs, if you can find a way to show someone respect, 
they will probably respect you back. Now, Hannah, she may have to live with her parents. She may have no choice. If that's the case, uh, you know, I would encourage Hannah to look at what she can control. So tell me why you have no choice though. If she's like 16, uh, she's living with her. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, it's like, you've got your own, you've got your own, uh, you've got your own space that your room, or maybe it's your bed or whatever it is. If you can at least apply the values and beliefs and those principles to your space and not to mention like the, the, the decisions that she makes in her life. And then she, she can do that. That'll help her gain a little bit of sanity, but then, you know, show your parents that you do respect their values and beliefs and by doing that, you can go to them and say, hey, you know what? I really would appreciate it if, you know, X, Y, and Z and ask them something. But if you're respecting them, they're going to be more apt to support you with the, mm-hmm. with the, the differences that are going on. But yes, yeah, sometimes, like I, you know, like I said, if she's 16 years old and living with her parents in high school, uh, unfortunately, yes, like you're living under your parents' roof. Ultimately, they do get the say. But that doesn't mean that you don't have any input at all. Now, I agree with you, like if she is out of high school, mm-hmm. living with her parents mm-hmm. and she's doing it to save money or whatever it may be. Like Hannah, you've got to be able to make the choice. Is it, do I need to live with my parents? Uh, or, you know, what's the opportunity cost if I live with my parents? You went through this when you were yeah. 18 and, and we're sort of, you know, because of different, different beliefs and different values, mm-hmm. um, we're forced to exit the home. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, yeah, I was basically kicked out of the house when I was 17. I graduated when I was 17. Yeah, that's right. And I had a I had a girlfriend at the time who she had her own apartment. And, uh, you know, I'd go over there. We'd hang out. My my dad was super religious. And he's just like, hey, look, if you're going to have a girlfriend and be hanging out with her by yourself, um, you can just, you know, you need to go. You need to leave and move in with her. And I had a choice. Like, I could either stay in my dad's house and constantly get reprimanded and have rules forced upon me or I could find a way to move out. And I did ultimately find a way to get out and I'm, I was really happy I did. Um, but yeah, I, I guess Hannah, that's, yeah, the, I guess long story short is if you can find a way to get out of there, that's probably the best option if you are able to do so. Something else from Rob Bell here. Um, this quote does not apply to this, but these questions do. Uh, he said, you're always teaching your kids and sometimes you use words. Mm. Oh, that's and, a good one. Yeah, that's great. And um, man, I agree with it because you might you might want to teach them something. You, there are teachable moments like, all right, I'm. this is a perfect time for me to teach Ella about blank. But like I've been teaching her the whole, the whole time. It, every moment is a teachable mm-hmm. moment, yeah. right? And he... Uh, Rob talks about, he, he, do, he asks people these seven questions when he does sort of like many counseling sessions w- with people. To help, they're, they're simple yes, no, binary questions. And uh, it's like a seven question pop quiz. So let's go through this together here because, um, and, and, and for those of you listening at home, go through this and just answer these questions. And he said the fascinating thing about this is uh, everyone has an immediate answer to these questions. Mm. Uh, and so the first Are one is- answer these out loud? Yeah, why not? All right. Growing up, did you want the kind of life your parents had? Mm, no. No. <laughs> uh, same. Uh, definitely, definitely did not, right? Uh, did your parents see life as a trial to be endured or as an adventure you get to go on? Mm, a trial. Yeah, a trial. 
Yeah, yeah, likewise. Interesting. Um, That's did a you, great question so far. <laughs> and and the, by the way, there's not, not a right answer here, right? They're right. just simple binary questions. Yeah. Did your parents' worldview, faith, or religion work for them? Did it bring them joy? Mm. Man, that's a tough one for to answer. I mean, I would say it ostensibly brings my dad joy, but there's also a lot of pain that comes along with it too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a sort of a facade of of I, I don't want to say a facade of joy, but like uh, theoretically, it brings him joy. Yeah, but, but there are these sacrifices he makes to, you know, be in good standing with, you know, the the God he worships and. Uh, those sacrifices bring him a lot of hurt, but ultimately it's this long-term goal that he's, you know, kind of chasing after. Were you, were you raised religious at all? No. Okay. Did your parents' worldview work for them? You know, I think, I mean, I think we probably grew up in similar homes. You know, I grew up in a working class family where I was first generation college student. I, I did things a lot differently than my parents did. Um, I think that their worldview was very much work to pay the bills to put food on the table and then have your kids do the same thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I, I don't, I feel like that worked for them. I can't say that there was a ton of joy in that process. Um, but I think that as time has passed, they're finding joy in, in seeing their kids grown and sort of replicating bits and pieces of their story, mm-hmm. but doing things their own way. So. so in a way they're finding joy by also expanding their world. You're helping them expand the worldview in for a way. Sure. Yes. Isn't that interesting when mm-hmm. like you become an example for your parents mm-hmm. it's like i feel yeah. the same way in a lot of respects like with my mom it's like she'll, you know we'll she'll ask me like show me how to do what you do i, I have things i want to talk about show me how to use social media <laughs> yeah it was funny my parents were in town last weekend and um growing up my parents never took me to cedar point which anyone that's not familiar is this huge amusement park in ohio and i always wanted to go to cedar mm. point and we my parents my mom was always like no there's crazy people at cedar point oh wow right and i'm always like what does that mean <laughs> like i don't even know what that meant because it's crowded and i, I don't know she just there's crazy people at cedar point <laughs> just imagine like a bunch of manic people <laughs> yelling like <laughs> i had no idea what it meant so but that was always my association there's crazy people yeah. i think she meant because we were from a small town and it was this big place and there were thousands and thousands of people there mm-hmm. so that was just i've always for some reason retained that and when she was visiting last week we went down to the city to go see a broadway show and we were in grand central station and she's there just like just beaming with joy with her grandkids and that's having the best time and i'm just thinking to myself there's crazy people here, right? <laughs> right? Like, there's absolutely actually real crazy people. Yeah, here. legit crazy people at Grand Central. And, yeah. But it's that worldview has shifted, and she's open to seeing new things yeah. and seeing that there can be joy found in things that you previously were afraid of. And yeah. I've seen a lot of growth in my parents around that for sure. Yeah, it's cool. As like, yeah, as kids, like we can help our parents grow, especially as adults. Mm-hmm. The next question is. Did you want to have a marriage like your parents someday? <laughs> I was in the, I was in Arizona recently. Um, uh, Bex and I went on vacation. We didn't have Ella with us. It was it was just the two of us. We were in Sedona. It was beautiful. We we're at this place called Miyamo, which is the most beautiful place I've ever been in my life. And um, uh, I was it's like this spa place and like I was going to get a a 90 minute deep tissue massage oh, those are the best man yeah and an hour just doesn't do it does it <laughs> <laughs> the 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 woman at, at, who at the beginning like you have like a little consultation and 
She's basically like, you know, are there any pain areas that I should avoid? Um, that's what yeah, she's don't asking. Don't talk about my childhood. <laughs> well, that's the thing. She, she goes, uh, are, are there any injuries or trauma I need to know about? And I said, my first memory is of my father beating my mother. And thinking it was the best joke in the world. But it's a, I, it's, thought, I think it's hilarious. <laughs> I she just looked at me like, uh oh. I'm, <laughs> I'm like, it's okay. That is true, but it's just a joke. Oh my goodness. Um, so uh, no, I didn't want a marriage like yeah, my either. parents. That's literally my first memory. Um, Ryan, did you want a, uh, a no. marriage like your parents? No, no, no. What about you? Yeah. Um, so my mom was divorced right before my first birthday. Okay. And then remarried, and my stepfather adopted my brother and I, and then mm. went on to have um, two more kids. So I would say definitely not to mm. my mom's first marriage. I think second marriage, who I know to be my dad now, is it's a much more healthy dynamic. But mm. um, my mom was always very much the boss, mm. and I didn't want to be the boss, but I am the boss. Uh. <laughs> like I, and it's but it's something I'm I'm working on, right? It's something mm. I'm cautious of, like that I that's my nature. That's what I saw. That was my role model but i don't want it to be that way so but in but it's it's a journey right like i'm working on it i think your boss (laughs) (laughs) i think what's nice about these about these questions is as we ask them it helps us better identify perspective for our our children Mm -hmm. because what we're what we're really asking here is uh, our kids are going to be asking these questions either directly or indirectly in the future right like am i actually providing a a marriage or a relationship that is worth mimicking is really what we're asking by asking that question. Yeah, I mean, we talk a lot about, you know, setting examples, showing the benefits. Like these are very uh, easy questions to ask ourselves to, to kind of indicate whether or not we're setting those good examples. Right. And we discount the importance of the relationship with our partner mm. and the impact that it has on our kids because our kids are learning about relationships from our relationship. Yeah. And we don't pay attention to that dynamic, right? Yeah. Even if you love your kids and you are so kind and so generous and you treat them well, if you're not doing all those things to your partner, they're seeing that example and it speaks loud and clear. And yeah, I think the show don't tell attitude rings true here, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Show them rather than telling them what where, the way that relationships should be lived. Yeah. And, and speaking of setting an example, this is this is a big one and it's a hard one to, to answer, but um, did your parents pursue their dreams or did they settle? Mm. And I think life is a com- is always a combination of both of those things. Like there are certain things that uh, for which we have to settle because of circumstances. Like right. I have to settle for the fact I'm not going to be in the NBA. Like there's still some there's still something in the back not of my mind. I'm like Milburn. I'm like Kyle Korver's 37. I'm 37. <laughs> he plays that for happened. the Utah. Yeah, it, 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 it's it's right around the corner. Right. I'm just going to develop really a really good jump shot all of a sudden at right. age 37. Um, but um, did your parents pursue their dreams or did they settle? Yeah. Oh, mine definitely settled. I mean, it's funny though. The reli- so I was raised Jehovah's Witness. If if you didn't know that, uh, Danae. But my my dad he lives his life now as if this isn't the real life. So like he doesn't have permission to live life right now. Oh, he is had that part of Jehovah's Witness. That's well, the, the whole, That's so, so the whole thing is is like they don't they they their whole idea is to go out into field service into a ministry where they are proselytizing and they are trying to bring people closer to God or bring people closer to Jesus. And this is a commandment that's in the Bible, uh, you know, go out and make disciples. So that is where their main focus is. But 
you know, since the inception of the religion, I mean, it started back in 1887. I mean, it's been around for a while. Um, but since almost ins- as long as Scientology, <laughs> almost, uh, the, the whole idea is don't go to college. Don't have kids. Don't get married. Don't pursue your dreams. What you need to focus on is going in the field ministry. And then once Armageddon happens, God is going to make the world a paradise. He's going to create this utopia. And then you can truly live. Oh, your, your dreams wow. are going to be given to you. Right. Exactly. So it's like. What a terrible message. I know, man. Yeah. It's it's really unfortunate. And I know a lot of. Um, I got a friend here in LA who. Uh, her and I actually grew up going to the same church. And she was just telling me how like she has kind of missed out on like really meaningful relationships mm-hmm. uh, because of this idea that, you know, right now we're not meant to live life. Like don't live life right now. Uh, God will provide a real life for you when the time comes. And uh, yeah, so he definitely settled. I think he is living up to his values and living up to his beliefs, but there are many things that he is like holding off on you know, that he pursues, uh, you know, he's waiting for that, for that end of the world end times, man, like it just <laughs> thinking about it is like depressing, man. Cause it's, again, it's like, you're, you're being told like, don't live life now. You can, you can live life later. And that's, you're right. That's terrible advice. And then my mom, she actually has kind of pursued a little bit more than my dad, meaning she wanted to be a comedian. So, um, I remember I actually have a film of it. I probably won't put a link to it in the show notes. <laughs> <laughs> But um, she came to Missoula, Montana to visit. Hey, hey guys, you want to see a car crash? <laughs> right. <laughs> no, God love her, man. Like she really, she really uh, got up there and tried. There was an open mic night in Missoula, Montana. Believe it or not, there's actually a comedy scene in Missoula, Montana. Um, it's not like, you know, it's nothing like anywhere else. But it's it's this group. They are really funny and they, have, they host open mic nights. And she went and hers is more of like a... Um, her style is like she just likes to complain on stage. <laughs> but people do find it kind of funny. She got a few laughs. But I do respect that, uh, you know, she totally had put herself out there with the uh, open mic night. She went and took an improv class. I mean, she's done a couple things to really, I think she put a couple videos on YouTube. Again, not going to put the links in <laughs> in the show notes there. But I'll tell you what, though, she never would have done that if she didn't see me go out and put myself mm-hmm. out there. So again, like just going back to how we could be an example for our parents like it really, it really does. When we're living a good life, it's going to move other people to want to live a good life. Mm-hmm. And that certainly includes your parents. I mean, yeah. she's not going to pay to hear me talk. She's not going to be a, pat- a patron to this, but, um, but she does see that I am able to pursue something that I'm really passionate about. And that, that kind of, you know, sparks that, that uh, motivation in her, or inspires her. My mom pursued her dreams until she settled. Mm. And it's Tweet a, that. It's uh, it's a weird, it's a it's a good example for me, but that you know it it's not about eventually settling. And I think that we all, we have a sort of um, an idea of like, well, I'll just I'll do this, I'll hustle, I'll work, whatever, and then I can settle. Mm-hmm. But the discontent the discontent also settles in when we settle. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like so. Then I don't know about you or, or, or your parents, but for me that that was an, a, a fine example. Like before I was born, actually, I have all these beautiful stories of my mom living one of the most amazing lives. She was a nun in the convent. She was literally a nun for five years, and then she was a stewardess. Yeah. Um, she dated some 
amazing. I'm pretty sure she dated both Mr. T and um <laughs> and and Jim Brown. What? Uh, yeah, in Chicago. Yeah, and uh, she lived in the same building as Mr. T when he was a bouncer at the bar downstairs. Mm. So I use the word dated loosely. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um but um the the and also Jim Brown again using the term dated loosely, but um and then she like moved to Bermuda and and married her first husband who owned a large grocery store chain and like um she she did all of these things that she was really passionate about and then she had a kid with my father who was her second husband and um from there just sort of like settled because life was really hard and I kind of get yeah. it but. There are times where life is really hard and and we have to still not settle. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm I'm reflecting on this and thinking that I actually don't even really know what my parents' dreams were, but mm. I think from Wait, that, that that's uh, telling in and of yeah, itself, right? Absolutely. Right. Like if if because what I, I'm saying with my father, I don't I I didn't really know my father very much, but um uh, I, I don't I don't know what his, his dreams were and and um with my mom, I think all of her dreams were in the rear view, and that that mm-hmm. that was the problem. Like mm-hmm. she she was living in in the past because there were really good times then, and mm-hmm. and we can't recreate the past. It's about having the dreams moving forward. Yeah, like my parents, they own a house outright. They pay their mortgage off. Cool. They have no debt. They have a driving RV. Like these are all things that they would have uh, that they always wanted for themselves. They have four kids. They're all college graduates. Um, I think they've checked all their boxes. And so in that sense, I think that I would say that they are living their dreams because those are all the things that they laid out for themselves. But their dreams are so different from my dreams. Right. It's hard for me to really say, it's hard for me to reconcile that, you know, living in a small town in Ohio and, um, you know, waking up and going to work every day at a job you don't really like. My dad's a blue collar worker and my mom works in an administrative role. Yeah. Um, kind of going through the motions with that every day. To me, that doesn't seem like living the dream, Mm -hmm. but they have realized a lot of dreams for them. And I think Mm -hmm. there's an important part of respecting that, that their dreams are going to look different from mine and that's okay. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, they, it sounds to me like they lived a meaningful life Mm -hmm. and what, what their version of a meaningful life is. Exactly. And, you know, a meaningful life, it doesn't mean that you're going to be happy hundred percent of the time. You're, you know, your parents weren't getting up and riding a unicorn on a rainbow road to their job. Yeah. Uh, but ultimately, when we do live a meaningful life, we do find bursts of happiness because we are living up to what our values and what our beliefs are. So that yeah, I think that's a great example, really. If if anything, it's a good example to show that we don't always have to chase excitement. And I think that that is something that I fall into the trap of sometimes is I'm trying to live an exciting life. But sometimes... You know, you don't have to pursue excitement all the time. Just living a meaningful life without the excitement is 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 just as well sometimes. Yeah. Are you a dopamine seeker? Have you ever heard that term? I have. I have not heard that term. I have certainly been a dopamine seeker. True story. Right. <laughs> yeah. That's uh, from skateboarding. Yeah. So on on uh, on thirty seven years old on on Easter uh, we were. <laughs> Dude, we were playing this game. It's the only thing. It might be equivalent to ice basketball. This game is called "Where's the Dopamine?" Yeah, "Where's the Dopamine?" So we were uh, we were playing horse, but um, we were trying to do trick shots off it while we were skateboarding. <laughs> oh, 
So anyway, long story short. That's effective. So I broke my back playing ice basketball in yeah. Ohio because Wait, ice basketball. Right, it was familiar. Yeah, <laughs> neither is anyone else. Okay. Um, neither was I. But like we went down the basketball court. There was still ice on the court. Oh, and we all okay. wanted to play basketball. Right. And someone tackled me during. Which you're also not supposed to tackle it's people. Full contact ice basketball. <laughs> yeah, and that's sort of what you're playing. Innovative. But the contact was with the concrete. Apparently, Mariah was telling me that like I'm the only 37 year old she knows that gets injured and has scrapes and bruises like that like you know a kid would have no so i'm not a dopamine seeker i still like to challenge myself mm-hmm. i snowboard um r- mountain bike uh I, I really like to challenge myself because you know i when we put ourselves in uncomfortable situations a lot of the time that discomfort is a sign of growth mm-hmm. so i do certainly throw myself into situations like that now i will test my limits i don't know if that's really seeking dopamine as much as you know, I'm, I'm almost 40, so I want to really see what I can get away with when it comes to playing basketball and skateboarding. Can I combine the two? And obviously, I cannot. <laughs> well, I think that actually yeah. leads to this next question here. Um, did your parents wake up each day with a sense of anticipation and expectation for what the day might bring, mm. or did they just get through it? And I can yeah. I can say definitively about Ryan Nicodemus, if he doesn't just get through the day, he does wake up with a sense of anticipation. <laughs> I'm going to play this damn skateboard basketball even if it kills me. Um, but back to the previous question, though, did your parents pursue their dreams or did they settle? Really, the question I get from this is like, man, am, am I communicating, am I effectively communicating my dreams to my to my kids or or to Ella and the answer is no I'm not doing a very good job of that I need to find a good way to do a better job of that like I I feel like I do a good job of that on this podcast but how do I distill it down for a five-year-old and and I don't think you need to tell her though I think she sees it I, I think I think so but but how do I how do I how do I effectively communicate? You're right. It's not about like it's not just about saying, oh, "Well, here's what I'm doing to pursue my dreams." I mean, I'll do that jokingly. I'll say things like that, like, uh, "Let me talk to you about in, uh, instant gratification." I'll, she's like, oh, "I like candy, right. um, like a purple car." <laughs> right. that, that literally happened. We were driving the other day, um, and like I'm explain like she asked this question. I'm explaining like you're explaining superlatives to her. Or something. Yeah, yeah. She 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 was asking something about. Um, the most best thing ever and i'm like well it's dangerous to use superlatives and 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 she's like look a purple car (laughs) anyway uh did your parents wake up each day with a sense of anticipation and expectation for the day might bring what the day might bring or did they just get through it Mm. my mom was definitely just getting through the day and and often uh, pacifying herself with with alcohol unfortunately yeah yeah I, I mean yeah it's funny i think about uh when my mom and dad first got divorced lived with my grandma for a little bit but then we got uh, my mom got her own place and um yeah like the summers were it was just getting up and she was either working her butt off or she was like rewarding herself with ephemeral you know partying and, and things like that but yeah it's yeah not neither of my parents i could say woke up with anticipation as much as yeah barreling through i'm assuming likewise yeah mm-hmm. well when you're yeah one final quote from rob bell here we'll get to our next question uh, you want your kids um you want to give your kids as little as possible that they're going to have to unlearn later mm. 
That's <sighs> good. And that one, I mean, yeah, we're going to make mistakes while parenting, right? We're mm-hmm. teaching them things that unfortunately they're going to have to unlearn. And there are many things I had to unlearn throughout my life. There are actually things I taught myself throughout my 20s that I've been unlearning throughout my 30s. It's been a life of perpetual learning and unlearning. And, and I think the key there is to not hold too tightly to those those beliefs Mm -hmm. so i don't know if that's something you struggle with but uh if there's anything you had to unlearn or if there are things that you've taught your kids where you're like oh i'm gonna have to get them to unlearn that oh yeah i'm teaching them all the time things that i don't even realize that i'm teaching them and i think that we don't always see it directly right it's not like you know like we're not putting the seat down on the toilet and they're not putting the seat down on the toilet sometimes it takes different forms but they're constantly learning from us and I I, th- I try to be aware of the ways that it's happening and I try to notice when I'm seeing myself reflected into them or onto them rather um, but it takes it takes so much thought and intention to really tune into that and I I feel like I don't want to bog myself down with that on a daily basis and I know that that can be a big fear for many parents this idea that I, I don't want to mess up. I don't want to get angry. I don't want to yell. I don't want to do anything other than what I want to see in my kids. But the reality is our kids need to see the whole range of emotions from us. They need to see us be upset and to see us laugh and cry and that and to see us be human mm-hmm. and to realize that we are not perfect. I It's funny. I actually have this very vivid memory, memory of asking my mom, I was probably like five, asking my mom, what song is this? We were in the car listening to the radio. And she's like, I don't know. And I was like, well, what do you mean you don't know? <laughs> and she's like, I, d- I don't know what song this is. And it was this like light bulb moment where I realized that my mom didn't know everything. Mm. Like I really, up until that point, I really thought she knew everything. Yeah. And I've carried that with me into my own parenthood to, th- to know that that is something I want to be very sure that my kids know, that I do not know everything. Mm. I do not do everything right. I am not... Do I want you to follow me and to look at me as a model? Yes, but also realize that I am flawed. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Well, that leads to one more Rob Bell thing. I was trying to get (laughs) off the Rob Bell train here, but put a link to Launching Rockets. It's an audio book to a book that doesn't exist. And uh, it's just a great, it's 17 observations on being a parent, not on parenting, but on being a parent. Um, And uh, observation number six is, it's really, 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 really important that your kids learn to ask questions. And uh, I wrote down some notes here. The questions aren't the problem. The questions are the point. Mm. And I think sometimes that's the th- thing. Like there are times where, where Ella's asking so many damn questions, but of course that's that's how she is growing. So yeah. uh, questions are how your child grows. By teaching them how to engage with questions, you are teaching them that the world is interesting. Mm. We're here to actively engage with the world, not passively spectate. By teaching your kids to ask questions, you get to bring them into your explanation of the world. Since questions are rooted in humility, questions teach your children how to be humble. And that's the thing you learned with your mom there was like, oh wait, she doesn't know everything? What a human being. Yeah. Like, it's unbelievable. I, I thought you were the you know, the human encyclopedia. Um, since questions are really humility, oh yeah, questions begin with, uh, the, with the assumption that there is more. Uh, so they're the antidote to boredom, by the way. If, mm-hmm. if your kids are boredom, bored, it's because they're not asking enough questions quite mm-hmm. often, right? Because if you're constantly questioning, what you're saying is, I know there is more than this. And by the way, if a question is ever forbidden, 
then you are teaching your kids something else. Yeah. Uh, you, if you're saying, you, you found, especially with the religion, mm. uh, it was like, all these things are forbidden. Those are the things you wanted to pursue the most. Right, yeah, absolutely. Um, we have to be comfortable with the answers not being what we want them to be, yeah. right? You yeah. know, that's, yeah, that's, that's not easy. Yeah, yeah and, and, and that teaches them that there are answers that are also uncomfortable. And uh, teaches them to sort of live with discomfort because not everything is going to be comfortable. Uh, no matter what your kids do, no matter where they are in life, questions of meaning will always be present. By the way, that's what we're asking ourselves now. At, at age 37, I'm still grappling with questions of purpose and meaning. And we just did a, a podcast episode with... Um, Sam Harris, and we were talking about the, the purpose of life, and we were talking about suffering, and these are all questions that have to do with, like, life's meaning, or, or, or what is our greater purpose? Like, of course, kids are grappling with this, because we're still grappling with this as, as adults, and we're going to continue grappling with it. One last Rob Bell thing. Is he the one who said our first job as a parent is to enjoy your kids your first responsibility with your kids is to enjoy them yeah. why because they notice yeah. if your kid is making you miserable that kid feels miserable oh, yeah so much so the way that we're feeling about our kid in any moment they are absolutely feeling about us mm. and i often tell parents when parents say to me you know my kid hit me like what am i supposed to do i'm like reflect on how you feel in that moment there is a very good possibility that you wanted to hit them right you got this overwhelming you were so angry and you wanted to hit them but you have the self-control and the frustration tolerance to not hit them they don't have that, right? right? So that's why they're hitting you is because they have reached this breaking point where they don't know how to cope with those big feelings. Mm -hmm. And if you look across the board when you're feeling intense emotions towards your kids, they're almost always feeling those emotions right back at you and sort of checking yourself and and knowing that that right like if you if you feel like oh i'm so sick of you right now i don't even want to look at you anymore your kid is actually thinking that about you right can you oh, imagine yeah. like your five-year-old saying like oh i'm so sick of you i don't even want to see you anymore but that that's how they're feeling about you right. and they, they might have it's the a words mirror. for it but they yes. have the feelings exactly for sure right all right, uh, Tech from Dallas is asking, families come in all formats, like two husbands as caregivers for a mom with dementia. Mm. How can one aspirational minimalist be consistent in downsizing inven uh, inventory when the other two people don't oppose, yet they don't find it as important? What we're talking about here is um, you value different things right now, and yeah. I think that's okay because they're not opposing you. They're just not finding it very valuable. That's actually right? not a terrible spot to be in. I mean, you know, maybe text in a situation where uh, this parent has a hoard of stuff, mm -hmm. and they're like, you need to take care of that hoard. And the parent and their partner are like, we don't really mind the hoard. We don't care what you do with it, but we don't mind the hoard. So they're kind of giving tech permission to do what they want with that hoard. So maybe in that situation, you have to put in a little bit more work, but having the space to put the work in, like that's pretty valuable, yeah, I think. You want to give, I mean, this is, a, this is a lesson in life, no matter what you're doing. If you want, you're going to put, put forth more effort if you want to get the result that you want to get. Absolutely. Now, if you can get other people on board to help you with that effort, that's great. But it sounds like they're not opposed to what you, in fact, you, in fact, you said they're not opposed to... Uh, your lifestyle, then you have a permission slip at this point mm -hmm. to put in the effort. That's a really good place to be in. Yeah. Yeah. 
and dementia adds this whole other layer that and it's I mean essentially you're in a period of mourning mourning this ability to know what happened in your days if you're if you're forgetting what has happened yesterday or the day before or 10 years ago whatever it is so I think holding on to the stuff when you have dementia and you can't remember the memories and the stuff helps to trigger those memories I think that Respecting that as part of the mourning process, wanting to hold on to the stuff as yeah. a way of holding on the memories, I think is Absolutely. it's always important to keep that in mind too. Yeah, yeah. The, the memories themselves are not in the things, but the things can often trigger the memories that are inside us. Right. And, yeah. and we definitely need to, to respect that. So we don't want to cause additional trauma here mm-hmm. as well, right? And that's true with people who aren't, who, who don't have dementia or, uh, you know, I, I think part of tech, the rest of tech's question was like, when we talk about families, why are we always talking about just parents and kids? And it's yeah. like, well, because that is that that, that is the, the standard family, but there are times where we have to start taking care of our parents. So Sean, a uh, podcast, Sean was doing that this weekend. His mother just had knee surgery, so he was back in Dayton. What a and, good boy you are, Sean. <laughs> and yeah, he was there being the parent, essentially. All right, mom, time to get up and, and stretch. You got to move that knee. We got to... <laughs> and, and, and so, yeah, there, there are times where we have to step up and become the parent for our parents mm. and uh, that, that sort of leadership role and now you're taking care of two generations maybe you're taking care of your kids and your parents and it's quite the responsibility mm-hmm. but um, but it is a necessary responsibility yeah. Yeah. and I think that we don't talk about that as much when we're talking about families because here in America we have a very individualist perspective on right. family mm-hmm. and uh, but I think that if we were in Latin America or in parts of Asia, I think this conversation would be different. I think sure. that when we're talking about family, family means all the layers of family in in other types of cultures. But here in the U.S., I feel like taking care of parents is, you know, like you said, what a good boy, right? Yeah. It's like you're doing a favor to your parents. It's not it's not assumed. And right. I think that's the culture that we live in. Yeah, I totally agree. I was having this conversation the other day of how family here in the states unfortunately it it doesn't mean what family means in like latin america mm-hmm. i mean family in latin america it's not oh i'm doing you a favor mom it's it's my duty absolutely yeah. and it's because that fa- it, and it's not just because the kid is born with that duty but like when everyone is acting like it is their duty to be part of the family that makes you want to do your part of being the family mm-hmm. but yeah i agree like here it's a bit more people are a bit more solipsistic i don't know why that is i mean i wish What's, I could pinpoint it, something with it. It's the it's the American culture of of like you said the 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 rugged individualism. You know, it, yeah. it, it goes back to maybe Emerson or before that, where we're we're talking about self reliance. Mm. But and that's important, being self reliant, but also realizing that other people are going to rely on that self reliant person, yeah. right? Yeah. Well, it's interesting because like my mom, she'll say things like, she, "Well, she used to. She doesn't say it anymore, but she would say things like, you know, you know, my idea of uh, you know my my dad." he would go out of his way to call his mom every single day. And he went out of his way to surprise her with makeovers and to surprise her with, you know, gifts. And, 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 and this is what a, you know, what a kid should do for their mom. And I'm like, wait a minute, mom, let me tell you all the shoulds that my parents should do for the kid. Yeah. And, but it's, but until I actually had that conversation with her and I'm not going to yeah. go in through all my childhood trauma, but I, I did have a, you know, really deep conversation with her. Like, let me tell you as a kid, what I expected out of my parents. So I didn't get these things. Uh, so why would I be inspired to give you the things that you expect out of me? But unfortunately, I think that that, uh, 
it's just too often that that expectation goes only one way. Mm-hmm. And again, I don't know. You said it was because of why Melbourne. I mean, it's just this idea of rugged individualism. I mean, we we are in a yeah. we are in a culture that um, doesn't just promote but rewards in uh, this sort of individual oh. above everything else. Yeah. In fact. Um, if I say, hey, who are you? I'm Ryan. Mm-hmm. As opposed to like, uh, I'm Ryan Nicodemus of the Nicodemus family, right? Right. Uh, but you go, you've been to Japan, right? And, 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 or Iceland. Like, what, what is, um, their last names are all, like, what's Yona's last name? Sigurdotter. Like, it yeah. just means the daughter of this guy. The, my father is part of my last name even, right? Yeah. And so it becomes less individual, more about the clan or the family, the community, the group. Right. Uh, it doesn't mean you can't be an individual. But I'm also, I think there's a lot to recommend for individualism as well. It's We've had more innovation. We, we've had... Uh, we have more independence. We have more freedom as a result. It just so happens that when we sacrifice the group for the individual, yeah, we at the detriment of the group. That that is when it becomes problematic. Yeah, right? that's a great observation, man. Like we we reward individualism way more than we reward like loyalty or family. Like tough toughing through it ourselves, getting you know GTD or yeah, yeah getting just getting things done. Like that's what we. That's what we put on a pedestal here instead of working together as a community, working together as a family to make a better environment for us. It's about what have we done ourselves? Yeah. yeah. And, and, and as, a, as a team or group or, or, or community or a family, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I think once we understand that like we are going, it's much, much harder for us to get things done together. I, I mean, it'd be much easier for me to be sitting in this room by myself, just hitting the record button and <laughs> without any of you people here. Dude, I had this dream the other night that you asked me to record a podcast with a guest and like it was just me and the guest and I had to do Jordan's and Sean's work. <laughs> it was a nightmare, like man. Nightmare. Yes. It was like, the, I cannot, t- I woke up like so happy that it was just a dream. <laughs> we have one last question here from Kathy in Maine. And I'm really looking forward to Danae's answer on this one. How do you handle pressure from family members? For example, <laughs> there's a lot that's going to be unpacked in this question here. <laughs> for example, pressure to buy a safer slash newer car just for the baby. Mm. Yes, these are the same parents that had a 10-year-old vehicle when they had us. Yet suddenly, the choice is reckless and unsafe for me. <laughs> oh. I think their heart is in the same place as yours and that they want your kids to grow and to thrive and to be happy and healthy and successful. Mm-hmm. And and remembering that and reconciling this idea that your goals are the same, but it's a matter of how are you going to get there, mm-hmm. right? And how what is the path going to look like to get to those goals? And um, I think that always reminding ourselves that they're not trying to control you. They're not trying to make decisions for you, but they really do want what's best for you. Um, I think when it comes to extended family members and moving towards simplicity and intentional living, that we have to make the decision for ourselves that is this going to be part of our core values that we're going to be passing on to our own children? Mm-hmm. And if it is, it's something that we need to learn to stand up for. Mm-hmm. 
just like I mean in our in our family our core values is you know we don't do drugs right so I want my kids to know that and when they grow up I want them to be able to stand up for that right in mm-hmm. my family we don't do drugs mm-hmm. so and it's it's sort of the same idea that you're taking if they see you standing up for what's important to you and standing up for your values they're going to be able to do that as they grow so by saying by you know just kind of swiping under the rug and like oh it's okay like it's fine and not talking not having those hard conversations I feel like we're also showing our kids that some of the values we're trying to instill in them aren't as quite as concrete as we want them to be yeah it's I would ask too like is this a symptom of something bigger that's going on because if it's just well hey Kathy if your parents want to buy you a new safer car let them buy you a new car (laughs) um but but I mean is it is this a symptom of them looking at like oh they need a safe car is there other things that uh that you have control over um that they also view as being unsafe because the car seriously it might just be a symptom of what they're seeing something much greater but i agree with you if the parents are uh instilling safety into the children doing everything they can except for yeah they can't afford to buy afford to buy a new car then yes like eventually uh, the parents' parents should be able to see, oh, yes, like you are instilling safety in these kids. You are worried about these kids. Um, so yeah, I guess instill safety wherever else you can to show your parents that you are uh, indeed concerned about your children's safety. You can't nerf the world though. No, absolutely not. And and I think that's the the other side of it. In fact, I think we've gone way too far as a society. Oh yeah. Um, in fact, uh, this is something that Bax and I are often, we're, 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 we are on the edges of. I'm like, yeah, Ella is almost six. Let her go out by herself. It's fine. <laughs> and I'm like, but because my worldview is when I was six, like I did nothing but go out by myself right. because my mom was drunk on the couch. Mm. And so like I was a latchkey kid at age six mm. and it, w- it was not a problem. Now there's probably a comfortable in between mm-hmm. my yeah. situation and the, well, we're going to put you in a padded room with a straight jacket on so you can't hurt yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's uh, there. There's somewhere in between that we have to find that in between. But then also we have to sort of test the limits. One last thing from Rob Bell here. We're talking about communicating. Uh, he said the goal is to keep your kid talking. When your kid confides in you, that builds trust. Mm. It's as, it's as if they're saying can. So so one of the things we often do is we say like. Well, no, because I said so, right? Yeah. That, that doesn't build trust. Uh, you're, if your kid comes to you with a problem, it's as if they're saying, can you, mom, dad, can you be trusted with this thing that is troubling to me, that is intimate, mm-hmm. this deep problem? Can I trust you with this? I, I'm, I'm testing you by asking you these, these deep questions. And as a parent, you can either add to their burden or you can help your child carry it. Mm. And, and sometimes, uh, I think, unfortunately, we unintentionally add to the burden of our children. Yeah. And I think when we look at behaviors like lying and withholding information, it's often because they're afraid of our response. Mm. So if our children are afraid of how we're going to respond to whatever it is in their life that they're struggling with or a decision that they've made or a behavior that they're not proud of, mm-hmm. if they're afraid to bring that to us or if they're lying about it, it may in fact be related to our response to those behaviors in the past and knowing that we are someone to be feared rather than someone to be trusted and sort of how do we find the balance in that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, you know, a common thing, I, I guess, like I had a girlfriend who her parents, her mom specifically was like, Hey, uh, when you want to 
start having sex, let me know so we can get you on birth control and make sure that you are, you know, like had the sex talk, was trying to be really grown up adult about it, knowing. She's like, mom, I'm 30. (laughs) (laughs) So I forget how old she was, but she went to her mom and she's like, you know what, mom, it's time. I think I'm going to have sex. Mom slapped her, slapped her across the face. (laughs) <laughs> like like tell me you could tell me anything but if i don't like what you tell me i'm gonna slap you across the face like yes when we do that it, it we're gonna hide stuff from yeah like our, yeah. the kids That's are gonna so hide bad. stuff from the parents yeah all right before we wrap up here quick round of overrated or underrated all right ryan's favorite game so is the game of uh underrated overrated underrated or overrated <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's appropriately rated. <laughs> That's the secret answer, by the way. Appropriately <laughs> rated. iPhones, are they overrated or underrated, uh, Ryan? For, for me, they are appropriately rated. All right. Under, what about you? Underrated. Underrated. You're mm. both wrong. They are overrated, actually. <laughs> by the way, this is really, um, it's underrated, overrated, slash Josh's opinions on things. <laughs> okay, so it's completely objective. <laughs> what? <laughs> I got these answers off the internet. Yeah. <laughs> I wrote the answers on the yeah. internet. You uh, think that you think they're? I think they're appropriately rated because um, there are tools on my iPhone that I really like using. Mm-hmm. Like just the health app, for example. I really appreciate the health app. Like it helps me to. Um, I guess I could do the same thing with a Fitbit, but I don't want to have a phone and a Fitbit. Uh, Google Maps, like Maps, I'm always using, um, but I can see where they're overrated because they do suck up a lot of our time. Yeah, I, I yeah. think I think the our most precious resources are being drained from from these things they certainly can be uh and even if we are let's say the three of us at this table are just exceptionally disciplined with our our iphones right right fine which i would say i'm disciplined but i'm not exceptionally (laughs) but let's let's assume on your best days you're exceptionally disciplined okay i i'm saying by and large they are sucking our attention in a way that they're engineered to do that, right? I right. mean, mm-hmm. Cal Newport wrote a whole book about this mm-hmm. with digital minimalism. And and I think, I think we're going to look back 30, 40, 50 years from now and, and say, wow, we, we let certain, a certain small group of tech companies just drain our most precious resources. Yeah. We're spending our energy, our efforts, our time, our attention. We're wasting our skills and talent because all of these other resources, and money, by the way, too. I'm using this thing to, to spend all my money, right? Um, I think they're I think they're overrated. Yeah. In fact, this week I tried to go back to a BlackBerry. <laughs> oh, <geez>. Yeah, <laughs> that's how old we are. Yeah, apparently it's like it's it's yeah. pretty difficult to do at this point. <laughs> They're like, do you want to get a fax machine with that also? <laughs> right. <laughs> One of the things that comes to mind is the way that iPhones have changed the way that we question things. Mm-hmm. Right. We're talking about how important it is to raise kids to be questioners, and when I think back to my childhood, you know, if I had a question and I didn't know the answer, I had to go to the library and like pull right. up the Dewey decimal system oh, and like yeah. find a book or talk to people. Right. right. Or, or ask, you, you just let that question some, go or you let it go. You just wondered. And I do yeah. think there's value in letting, just wondering yeah. and leaving wonder out there and like just leaving it hanging. But at the same time, I think we just, uh, I think the, the generations to come are the curiosity and the seeking of answers to questions for better or for worse. I think it's just, it's changing how we how we accumulate and how we process knowledge and how we how we learn really yeah, yeah it's sort of the difference between math and arithmetic mm-hmm. the, the uh, arithmetic is like you know i can i can divide you know 
uh, these two numbers, right? But I don't need to memorize that anymore, strangely, because I have the calculator in my pocket. But uh, math is is different from that. Math is yeah. There's math. There's geometry involved in basketball, right? Now it's it's not understanding the arithmetic behind it necessarily. But your best ba- best basketball players in the world. I heard Seth Godin talking about this. How you know they understand the sort of geometry in a way that is visceral, right? Mm-hmm. And so there there is something about like having access to all the answers, but that sometimes can handicap us yeah. because um, it hurts our thought process as well. Yeah. So I, I I don't know. I, I think there's there's value in these tools, but when the tools become a crutch, which I think for most, most of us, including me. If the tools make us a tool. <laughs> that's a problem. Yeah. What, what about, uh, so I was in Arizona recently. Um, I was in Sedona. Jordan No More is from Phoenix. <laughs> And um, you were in Arizona last week, weren't you? I was we're, you know. Yeah, we were in Arizona. <laughs> uh, I was in I was in Phoenix for a bit. I was in Sedona. I went up to the Grand Canyon with Bex. Uh, we ended up in Flagstaff. Is it really that grand? Have you not been? <laughs> I haven't been. I haven't either, and you I have, feel like a terrible Ryan, American. We went no. no, we did not go to the Grand Canyon, though. <laughs> yes, we did. I'm positive we went. On tour? <laughs> yes. I don't remember, man. <laughs> this is 2011. Because I remember, because when you're driving that, because we took the southern route, and when you're taking that southern route from Phoenix to Albuquerque or wherever the next stop was from Phoenix, I guess it wouldn't be Albuquerque. But anyway, I remember th- thinking that we should go, but it was like two or three hours out of the way. I don't. Remember going to the Grand Canyon? Do you have a picture to prove it? Uh, yeah, probably. <laughs> I, that was back when I used to take pictures. Okay, well, I don't have a recollection of going to the Grand Canyon. <laughs> See, it wasn't that grand. No, I'm just I'm well, kidding. Here's the thing. Like, you show up. The mm-hmm. thing about the Grand Canyon is, like, so we can talk Grand Canyon overrated or underrated. Mm-hmm. Um, have you been? No. Okay. It's so un-American of me. It's appropriately rated. It's appropriately rated. It's vast and gorgeous, but it takes a lot to get there. Um and it's also been so heavily commodified. There are like towns that are on oh. the perimeter that are sort of all predicated on like, buy this statue of the Grand Canyon or whatever. And you're like, wait <laughs> a minute. <laughs> it's a hole. <laughs> oh, that's great. Uh, there's a Starbucks on the edge of the, like uh, on this, in this oh, town. Really? On the, and so we stopped there because we, we were, we stayed at a hotel the night before, which was highly overrated. Um, and we stopped at Starbucks the next morning, and it was like the worst-run Starbucks I had ever been to because mm. it was the only place to buy a coffee sure. within, I don't know, 100 yeah. miles. When you're the only option, you don't have to you don't have to do such a good job. It was like a Soviet bread line. Oh, wow. Just, just waiting to get a, a <laughs> cup of mediocre coffee. Oh, man. And they were out of everything. It was... It, it, but there's some sort of metaphor there. I, was, I started an essay about the Starbucks on the edge of the Grand Canyon. <laughs> and... Um, Anyway, Arizona, overrated or underrated? Have you been to Arizona? I haven't. No, okay. my brother lives in Phoenix, though. I'm planning to go this year, but yeah. I have not been. Okay. Uh, Phoenix is actually overrated. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just doing that for Jordan. Um, but uh, the state of Arizona. Yeah, I would say underrated because not ha- before I had been to Arizona, I didn't think much of it. I just thought, oh, it's hot and miserable, but it's got that dry heat. Like, that's all I knew about Arizona. But uh, after being there, like Tucson is beautiful. Phoenix is, is beautiful. Um, I have not been to Sedona yet, but 
Yes, I severely underrated Arizona before I had ever been out there. That is the correct answer. Arizona <laughs> is indeed underrated. In fact, Sedona is probably the most beautiful place I've ever been. It's more beautiful than Banff, Canada. Oh, wow. wow. It's on my wish list, too. It's Banff yeah, is amazing. It's yeah. gorgeous. Yeah. See, I remember Banff. STD capital of North America. <laughs> is that why you remember it? After you visited, yeah, it was. <laughs> oh, burn. Um, literally. Um, Sedona is gorgeous. Um, Tucson is top three favorite cities in the country it's amazing arizona our uh, phoenix arizona is in the middle of the state and that's what i'll say about phoenix <laughs> what else you got um recycling overrated or underrated oh man i hate to say i'm gonna say appropriately rated but here's the thing that bothers me about recycling i don't know where it goes well that's the that's yeah i think it's absolutely overrated because it's going into piles now right because yeah. china doesn't want it anymore right so it's literally piling up because we used to export it all and now it's, yeah it's just well i knew in new jersey they like just it was cheaper to just store they in literally DC. was it in dc it may have been new jersey too <laughs> but they literally had like these you know warehouses mm -hmm. where they stored the recycling because that was less expensive than like sending it off or processing it so it's I say appropriately rated because the intention is there, <laughs> but who the hell knows where our recycling goes after yeah, we put it yeah. in the recycling bin. Danae is correct. It is overrated. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I think what is underrated at this point is use, uh, producing less waste. Yeah. yeah. Consuming less so you can produce less waste. And, and, and it's not about zero waste. It's not about uh, living a life where you consume nothing and pr produce no waste at all. It's about being more intentional. And, and yeah. that was one of the beautiful side effects of this whole minimalism thing was like, wow, I'm, I'm actually yeah. using less stuff and there's less packaging involved and I'm consuming things more intentionally. I'm thinking about this. But you know what? There are times where I order something from Amazon and there's a box that shows up with it and I still mm -hmm. recycle it. And so in many ways, it is appropriately rated then. Yeah. But if I think that Oh, I'll just, yeah, I'll have a bunch of plastic bottles and I'll just recycle them. No, yeah. that, that's, it's still adding well, to the problem. I just don't want to discourage people from recycling. So I, I agree with you. Yeah. And that's why I say in those cases, it's appropriately rated. If we're consuming less, then I think it's appropriately rated. Okay. And maybe it'll, this conversation will inspire some budding entrepreneurs to develop some new yeah, technology for recycling so. because that's what we need. I mean, we need yeah. less waste, but we also need new technology for recycling too. And it makes me think of Missoula. I mean, what do they, they stopped recycling what? Pretty much everything, but like aluminum or yeah. glass. Yeah, I mean, but but long story short, like there was this processing plant in Missoula, and I forget what they cut out, but like, well, the whole time I lived in Missoula, you could not recycle glass. Um, you could like put it in this dumpster by Target that allegedly was recycled, but what people don't know is that if you throw a glass bottle and it breaks, they, they don't melt it down. Like that's that goes into the landfill if you break a glass bottle. Uh, the majority of the time. I mean, at least that's what it was with Target. There was like this whole article done like, hey, Missoula, do you know where your glass goes? It goes up on the landfill up there <laughs> at the oh, top wow. of the mountain. But you, at least you get to feel better from yeah. putting it in the recycling bin. So since we moved, though, I know that they've, they've stopped recycling... I think it's plastic. Like you can, you can recycle only. I think I think it was the city that stopped aluminum. You can still, you can still um, pay pri a private. Yeah, there's still okay. a private company that yeah. does it. Uh, two more things: New York City. I think it's appropriately rated. <sighs> Overrated, but this is perspectival. Yeah. I mean, how dare you? It's, uh, it's this is an objective answer. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh man, I mean, yeah, I say it's overrated, but uh, I love LA. I love I, I love how LA spread out. I could be walking down Sunset and have an entire block of sidewalk to myself. Where like if you're in New York and you have an entire block of sidewalk to yourself, something is wrong. Like you were in the wrong neighborhood or something yeah, something bad has happened. Right. Why is New York City appropriately rated? Well, I so I live outside of the city. I live in the suburbs. So I love to visit. Would never want to live there though. Hi. I don't have any desire to live there. It's just too it, the stress that I feel when I'm there, I can't imagine just having that all the yeah. time. Yeah. Um, but I mean it, it I think the sites and the yeah. amenities are amazing and I'm blessed to be able to take advantage of them when I want to and be able to go back to my house with grass and yeah. trees and, and well, live there so i've got kind of got the best of both worlds so i'm biased when josh and i go to new york city it's like <laughs> i look forward to going because i can get lobster rolls and uh, just some really good food and now that i think about it it's really just food related <laughs> i like to go to new york city you know some of the sites are cool sean and i the last time we were in new york city um he took me on like uh it was his own walking tour we just wanted to go see cool stuff that he wanted to see. And it was great, like seeing, you know, just kind of being nostalgic. But uh, so as much as I look forward to getting there, I also look forward to getting out. So we stay as, as short as possible yeah, I'm when, when we visit. What do you think, Josh? New York City is overrated. Oh, um, we just lost all of our <laughs> NYC patrons. P- please do not be offended by uh, Josh's objective. <laughs> you know that those people need minimalism more than anybody. Yeah. Right? Well, no, I mean, uh, I think the that lo- is true. Yeah, a lot of the people there are amazing, and I, I obviously agree that it is perspectival. But the the people in New York are underrated. I'll say that. Well, some of them, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> some of them are certainly overrated. Uh, there are some amazing people there. We did three events yes. there about a year or so ago, and um, yeah, those people were, were pretty awesome. But um, they were some of the ones who, who got it, right? Um, they, there were other people who were mean to me along the way. Yeah. Um, and and so, you know, a, a city with that many people, I don't know how many people were there, but 12 million people something like that Mm. you're gonna have both amazing people and terrible people all sort of yeah but here's the thing you can find your pockets Uh, as we found with los angeles like you can find your community it might require a little bit of work but you can certainly find it last but not least how come we never see sporks anymore you remember (laughs) sporks yeah I see them in the natural Where? food store at the checkout. They always have like this big bin of them, That's the plastic great. version, so you yeah. can wash them and reuse them. Mm-hmm. We actually have them for camping too, mm. metal ones. Overrated or underrated? Oh, I don't know. I mean, I don't like to use them, so I'm going <laughs> to go overrated. Well, I think they're appropriately <laughs> rated. They are underrated. It's uh, <laughs> the most minimalist utensil. Oh, I don't, my goodness. I'm, I was thinking the other day, like, why don't I have sporks You ever try to eat soup with a spork? No, but I would. Yeah, man. But I would. <laughs> you <laughs> right. would try. <laughs> Remember, Josh, minimalism is not about deprivation. Yes. <laughs> well, I, 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 although maybe that we have a point here. Like this multi-use tool, mm-hmm. it's not as effective as having separate. It's the iPhone all over again. Yeah. This iPhone is driving me crazy. I just oh, want my dude. BlackBerry back. Yeah. I'm you telling know, you, I thought about going to a clamshell and just getting like a GPS. Like, but I'd have two devices, and that's where I'm like. But that's that my point: is you, with a fork and a spoon, you have two different devices. Yeah. yeah. No, it's a very you good example. You want it, you just don't want to want it. And that's that's the problem I find. And I find there's a lot of people that feel like this about Facebook. It's right. I hate Facebook. I'm gonna get off Facebook. But then 
really they just really don't want to want it right that's that's the iphone right i deleted facebook (laughs) (laughs) doesn't exist anymore (laughs) no our joke is is how do you know someone left facebook don't worry don't worry they'll tell you or a funnier punchline (laughs) might be don't worry they'll post about it on facebook (laughs) (laughs) danae thank you so much for being with us you're awesome thank you thank you for having me it's been great i want to encourage folks to check out your podcast it's called the simply simple families podcast wait yes it's called the simple Simple families podcast your website is simplefamilies.com i want to just thank you and acknowledge you for creating something meaningful thank you and for being here today with us Thank you. you. You're awesome. Thanks. Thanks. All right, y'all. Love people and use things. We'll see you next time. Thank you so much for the support, y'all. See ya. The Minimalists.